From Welcome Villain Films, the studio that brought you the horror hit Malum, as well as Beaten to Death and Hunter Killer, comes their newest nightmare, Mind, Body, Spirit, now available on digital. Directed by Alex Haynes and Matthew Miranda, and produced by Dan Asma, Mind, Body, Spirit follows Anya, an aspiring yoga influencer, as she embarks on a ritual practice left behind by her estranged grandmother. What starts as a spiritual self-help guide quickly evolves into something much more sinister. As Anya becomes increasingly obsessed with the mysterious power of the practice, she unwittingly unleashes an otherworldly entity that begins to take control of her life and her videos. Now, Anya must race to unlock the truth before her descent into madness threatens to consume her mind, body, and spirit. During its festival tour, which stops at Chattanooga Film Festival and the Unnamed Footage Festival, Mind, Body, Spirit garnered praise from critics who call it a found footage version of Hereditary and a knockout found footage horror movie for the live stream era. Experience the first ever yoga-themed found footage horror film and don't miss the film viewers have called extremely frightening and upsetting. Available now on digital anywhere you rent or buy movies online, including Prime Video and Apple Plus. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's the show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com And welcome back to Scarred for Life, the podcast where we open up old wounds by looking back at the films that scared us as kids. I'm Terry. And I'm Mary Beth. In each episode, our special guest brings with them a movie that traumatized them as a child. This week, our guest is Sheree Bohannon. She's the co-host of the Nightmare on Fear Street podcast and a staff writer for Dread Central. She's also a playwright. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. This is fun. <laughs> We're so excited to have you and to talk about this really great movie. But before we do get to that, let's take it back to the start. How did you get introduced to horror? Uh, so as a kid, I was number six of eight, and I originally had five older brothers. The youngest of the oldest group is 11 years older than me. And oh, wow. So they okay. could, right? And they could watch horror movies, and I couldn't. But as a child, I was like, is this because I'm a girl? Because some of it was. To be fair, my parents were sexist. Mm. I don't know how much this argument was influenced by that, but I took it upon myself to watch horror movies for feminism. And so... <laughs> Hello. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think you were a little kid. Like, I'm doing this for fucking feminism. Right? Yeah, I'm eight years old, but <laughs> right? I know what this is, assholes. <laughs> it's like, That's I can amazing. watch this on a girl and you're messed up, Leona. Um, and so, like, <laughs> I, 
I eventually wore her down and she was like, fine, watch the fucking horror movies. You don't come having nightmares and talking to me about it. And so I started staying up on Halloweens to watch the Halloween marathons with my brothers. And then I started watching more than my brothers because they were adults and had lives. And I was like, I'm at home all day. Um, so <laughs> they started coming to me for recommendations and it was just a good time. Um, yeah, it was also fun because I had really fun imaginary friends as a child. Because Did of you? It. Oh, yes. Tell me more. Tell us more. So my first imaginary friend that I remember was Freddy Krueger. I got rid of him because he talked too much, and I (laughs) took him out for Michael Myers. I'm sorry. Even as a child, I was like, I should not be second in my imagination. I need a less overwhelming partner. (laughs) I mean, to be fair, Freddy Krueger, by the way, Mary Beth has died, but if Freddy Krueger was someone's imaginary friend, you would not be able to get a word in Edwise. He is a catty motherfucker. Listen. He is a catty motherfucker. And I couldn't go to sleep to escape him, and so I was really smothered. And so Plus, I, just, I just a little side note on that: the fact that your first imaginary, or that you remember imaginary uh, friend, was a child murderer. <laughs> you gotta cut out those toxic uh, friendships, even if they're imaginary. You gotta cut out the toxic friendships. I don't think he has your your best interest at mind, Sheree. <laughs> I don't either, and I'm glad I got rid of him when I did. Um, I love him, but like it just was not gonna work out. I had to see other monsters. Um, <laughs> It's not you, it's this me. Is, this is the best conversation I've ever had in my entire life. I was a definitely a weird little kid who liked the horror movies. I could not say freckles, so I would say Chucky had freckles. Um, and instead of getting me speech path, we just brought me into room so we could all laugh about it together. <laughs> that's how you raise a kid. <laughs> I'm like, why are they laughing when I say freckles? <laughs> Um, when you watch horror movies before you can legitimately read. <laughs> so, so I gotta also say, though, that Michael Myers is, is kind of an inspired second one because you won't play second fiddle to him because he don't talk. Right? He's a really good listener. Like, he... Mm-hmm. <laughs> little known fact. Um, Evil didn't have to die tonight. We couldn't even talk to him. <laughs> I can't do this. <laughs> Sheree, how old were you when you had these imaginary friends? It was definitely around kindergarten because, okay. like, I <laughs> after second grade, I was homeschool, and so things only got worse. Um, before that, I was gonna say, oh no, you have a couple more imaginary friends than being homeschool, <laughs> right? They were like, what can we do for the weird kid? Homeschool her. <laughs> That'll normalize her. <laughs> um, and so, like, I it had to be. It definitely was before kindergarten or around kindergarten because it was before I could like legitimately put together sentences even though I was trying because mm-hmm. I was writing back then supposedly oh wow <laughs> okay so then that leads me to the next question is so what was your first horror movie and how old were you when you saw your first horror movie do you remember I, I don't know what the first one was I remember loving okay. Pumpkinhead I remember loving mm. Michael okay. I even loved Jason back then because I was like any horror movie's a goal um <laughs> Certain Friday Thirteens are good, but quality control is not a thing there. Um, yeah, no, all of them were just always around. I, I don't even think I could pinpoint like <laughs> what it might have been and what it could have been that first year. Wow. wow. 
Yeah. And so it was your brothers who were watching them, not your parents? My mother and my brothers, because my mother was one of those. Oh, as you okay. might know, my mother is not, like, the most reliable parent. And so, like, she <laughs> had a slight hoarding problem um, and would just, like, record things and collect the VHSs, which she might still have, even though VCRs died a long time ago. But, like, she would just be up all night with USA watching shit till she passed out on the couch. And I'd be like, did you see that? And she'd be unconscious. I'm like, I saw it. Chucky just choked a kid. Um, <laughs> and so... <laughs> But <laughs> Tales from the Crypt was like my fun show. Um, I so, love that's that is, well, it's fun. It is a fun show. It, it has is a, a comedic bent to it, a darkly comedic bent, but a comedic bent. Like I've never impacted, it, but I think it might be why I cackle instead of laughing when something's really funny. <laughs> um, I've never impacted. And I don't want to. <laughs> wait, wait, it said you. You're the sixth. You're the sixth of eight. You said I was originally six of eight. Yeah, um, five older brothers. A little sister and little brother. And so, uh, of course, my so little sister... So you guys sister- are just kind of left to the wolves and you're like, whatever, we don't care. You're like at the tail end of the kids. So <laughs> After the first five, you're like, we make the mistakes we make. Like, let's go with God. <laughs> so- <laughs> go with God. Yeah. It's like, they turned out fine-ish. Mm, they'll figure it out. Um, And so, yeah, like, I'm just like a little sister who would actually have nightmares because she couldn't just, like, befriend the monsters. Um, She's a Virgo. And so... <laughs> And so, like, that's what I would do. Just watch horror movies, so I passed out, and then I'd wake up and do it over. So did you ever get, did you get scared as a kid watching horror movies? I liked being scared by the Mm. movies, but also it got hard to scare me, because, like, after you see a couple hundred, you're like, well, he's coming out of that closet. (laughs) Good luck to you. And (laughs) And so it got hard, which is why, to this day, if a movie gives me a jump, I'm like, fuck it. It gets a five star rating from me. <laughs> it doesn't oh, yeah. get an Oscar though. I'm not gonna go that far, but it scares me. I liked it. So what were some what are some movies that have done that for you, like recently that have actually got like scared you or gotten under your skin? Oh my god. I mean, I I can no longer do A two four movies after midnight. Um, literally because oh, okay. even the ones I don't like are unsettling. Mm. The Dark and the Wicked really fucked me up because mm-hmm. you know where the jumps should be and they wait. And after you're like, I'm giving up. They're like, here it is. I'm like, not yep. do that. Don't, don't fuck up the rhythm. <laughs> that movie um, was really good with that about like realizing when you're going to expect a jump scare and then like doubling down afterwards. Yeah. It was no, so good. It was mean. Um, I really <laughs> liked it because it was mean. <laughs> yep. I'm like, oh, this movie's really mean. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. I love the mean movies. I love it. No, they're the best because they're just like, we don't care. <laughs> you should have a nightmare yeah. too. And I'm like, I won't. Yeah, fuck but your, thank you fuck for- your feelings. Right? <laughs> no, just like 100%. Fuck your drag. Um, <laughs> here's some notes. <laughs> I was like, we didn't have to do all this. <laughs> um, okay, so when you were a kid, what 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 drew you to horror movies or horror as, as in general? Was there specific things that you liked or... Once I started watching them, I found out I actually did enjoy them. And I think it's because, like, you get to be scared for a set amount of time. Like, mm. it's it's negotiable. Like, I know when I sit yeah. down, this movie's an hour and a half. And at the end, the credits are going to roll. And I can go back to the real world. But for an hour and a half, I get to be scared in a controlled environment. Because... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 And so then what draws you to them now? Like, what draws you to them now as an adult? I think it's... A- I think it's a little bit of me rehashing things I didn't notice as a kid. Because I think Mm -hmm. that as kids, we're aware of things, but we don't have the vocabulary always, and we're not 100% sure what is going on. And so it's been kind of fun to go back and be like, I wanted to be a witch, because witches were on the TV, and witch is code (laughs) for feminism. Um, 
exorcisms are scary because they're always trying to shut women down from speaking. Like, literally, name me an exorcist movie that is not, this woman said something inappropriate. Chain her down and let's exorcise the demon out of her. And I'm like, we need more information. (laughs) (laughs) One small thing. She's crazy. She's insane. Mm -hmm. It's fine. She's crystal crazy. Or she's possessed. Wait, right? She asked for an orgasm, so therefore Satan is upon her. Um, <laughs> we I, mean, I can't argue with that logic. <laughs> Listen. Yeah, we, but I welcome him. I welcome him right? with open arms. Come, Satan, come. With her arms wide open. Oh, um, anyway. No. 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 <laughs> no. I tried. I, did, I, I thought I'd test the waters and it didn't work, so... <laughs> So you <laughs> you kind of answered this, but right. I'm curious because uh, you you mentioned that if a movie gets you that it gets a five star rating now as an adult. So uh, do you not get scared at movies as an adult very often? It's really hard. Yeah. Um, I I'm the person who's trying to not play on their phone while everybody else is like jumping, and I'm just like, you didn't know that was coming, and they're like, I don't I don't watch as many horror movies. No, I did not know he was in the closet for her. <laughs> And I'm like, well, here were the signs. First off, she was naked. Secondly, the closet was halfway open. <laughs> Thirdly, the music. Fourthly, the light. And they're like, bitch, shut up. We're trying to have fun. <laughs> <I know. laughs> Did you not see them zoom in on the dark crack in the closet? Like, right? Duh. Right? Where else would he be in the house? You knew it was her time. She's a secondary character. You knew it was her time. <laughs> um, She's kind of hot, so you know that she's going oh, right? to get killed no. very She's the very blonde friend. She's gone. I do think that's the problem when, when you, like, study film or study, like, the structure of film in, in general, is that film tends to not be able to shock you or surprise you as often because you're like, well, here's how this is all being set up, so this is the payoff that I'm going to get at a certain point. And that's kind of sad, but it also kind of shows how, like, rigid a lot of movies really are that's right that's so funny that you say that because um so my my fiance's like family's over right now which is why i'm recording in the closet and they're looking like at all the books that i have on our shelves and like you've had a lot of blu-rays and books about horror movies i'm like yeah you want to look at a book about like gender dynamics and slasher movies they're like what's a slasher movie and i was like oh do you really want to start this conversation <laughs> we're going down a rabbit hole how, how long do you and have I was like, I was there talking about it, and then I was like, we're going to just reel this one in, because I don't think anyone really cares. But I was like, <laughs> all right, so, you know, like, Freddy Krueger, Jason Voorhees, or, like, the meta slasher Scream, and then Steve started jumping in with the Scream stuff, and they're like, what in the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> People who have watched less than 150 horror movies don't understand Um there are different subgenres, because they're like, I hate horror, and then they're like, oh, no, my favorite movie is a vampire movie. I'm like, guess what? And I'm like, but it's not a horror movie. Like, you just said it was a vampire in it. So let's open up this umbrella and help mm-hmm. you figure out where it goes. Um, well, and this is the thing. Like, horror, like, horror is so much harder to define than most genres. I feel like, mm-hmm. like westerns and noir and comedy have, like, very specific things that indicate them as that as that, as that that genre. But horror is so diverse. There isn't really, like, one thing that you identify that, like, is, like, a, like a thing that's across all horror movies you know what i mean like it's very hard to like define it as a genre other than scary but then like scary is objective is so subjective right so it's like you hate horror but not really like you hate certain kinds of horror which is fine but actually you like you don't like slashers but you like creature features things like that so 100 percent I, I really loved the dialogue. Well, I don't 
I don't, shouldn't say love. I found it fascinating. I found the dialogue fascinating around promising young woman and how like most mm. men were like, this is not a horror. And you have a lot of those of us on the other side of this like power dynamic being like, oh, yes, it is. Yes, it is, Kenny. And so um, I was just watching people argue in the timeline and in like clubhouse rooms. And I'm just like, oh, no, he does not hear himself. Yeah, men had a lot of feelings about that movie. And I didn't really, I didn't like that movie personally for other reasons, but it was a horror, I, I would still call it a horror movie, even though oh, I didn't absolutely. like it. Like, it's yeah. terrifying. Again, because yeah. in that power dynamic, like, it's a horrifying prospect to yes. be a woman. 100 for fucking cent um, um but we don't want to have that conversation ever instead they're like oh no this isn't horror but this time that kenny directed it over here i'm like no what kenny did is not horror and it's not the movie we should be talking about i'm happy you're comfortable with what kenny did for rape revenge movies but not for me <laughs> um leave kenny to what he's doing let him go with grace i just <laughs> so what are some of your favorite horror movies as an adult Ooh, i <laughs> oh my god i don't know why that was a trick question i <laughs> I, gotcha. actually, I i've been on like a korean horror film kick because my podcast I, we've been trying to do better about leaving america because i always have a good time when we leave america <laughs> so we've done like the closet and we've done um oh my god metamorphosis and we also mm. did like a tale of two sisters oh. but like Anytime I leave the anytime I leave the country, literally, because like Tyler's not afraid does not get enough respect. I think what Issa Lopez does there is not classically horror Same. according to the frat boys, but it's it's horrific. Um, and it gets us yeah. back into the discarded women pile, which is a yeah. theme we don't get enough women handling because it's a real issue and a real thing to be afraid of. And the disenfranchised because it's all about you know the kids and the you know the people that don't have a voice. Yeah. No. Yeah. Um, I think that what that movie does with giving us hope in a hopeless time and space mm-hmm. um, is really beautiful. And we don't give her enough credit because we're like, Dotoro, who obviously we all love, like, name me somebody who doesn't like Dotoro and I'll show you somebody who's a liar. But like, <laughs> I, I think that Issa Lopez also deserves our love a lot yeah. of the time. And we're just like, oh, I haven't gotten around to that yet. And I'm like, because she's a woman. I see you. Give her more money to make more movies. You know what I mean? Like, please yeah. and thank you. Please. Listen. If I would open up my Venmo doll hairs, then the studio should as well. I concur. 100%. 100%. Um, okay. So let's talk a little bit about your career in writing and in the horror space. So tell us a little bit about your podcast, Nightmare on Fear Street. Um, yes. A Nightmare on Fear Street is me and my friend from undergrad. We used to get drunk and watch horror movies um, before and after rehearsals because we were theater kids. And so like you get a very Hell fine yeah. time wow. to multitask. <laughs> fucking incredible right uh and so like during the pandemic we were sort of reconnecting because what else are you gonna do other than sit around and like go hey we haven't talked about horror movies in a minute and we he was cracking me up and i was cracking him up and i was like what if we start a podcast everybody else is and he was like i don't know and i was like let's just try and see how it feels um and it ended up finding people in different like countries and regions and like we have like a bigger fan base than i ever thought we would have because i was like i can name three friends who'll listen to us and we can just end what we want to and that is not the case <laughs> 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 that is not the case at all um but we we intersect horror through intersectional lenses and like our guest list is pretty good about helping us do that and help us look at things from different sides that we might not have like figured out on our own um because we all love horror but it's not kind to most of us um <laughs> just inherently it is another patriarchy issue um and so that's not for the rest of us supposedly but we're gonna make it so 
It's also funny. I can't imagine it not being funny with you there, like, in the mix. Like, you are one of the funniest people, so I mean that as a high compliment. Thank you. I keep forgetting to mention that it's funny because people are like, oh, this is one of those podcasts where you talk about the things. And I'm like, yes. But, but also, you can I am also a laugh about it. We'll laugh and drink. <laughs> I am a deflector. Right. Um so I also want to hear more about like your life in theater. Like you, you, you're a writer and a podcaster in the horror space, but you also are a playwright, and um, you also do do you do you do directing, and you do director directing of production with the theater company, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I so I originally went to school for journalism because I knew I wanted to be a writer, but I also wanted to make money and pay rent. Um, <laughs> and journalism did not fit at the time, which I find spectacularly funny. Um, <laughs> many times I've started freelancing. <laughs> But I was like, I don't know if journalism is working out for me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so, take a drink, right? Take a I drink. <laughs> Drinks to things I thought were not working. Drink to that. But are cool resume starters. <laughs> I pivoted, and I was like, What about mass com? No. Um, what about English? No. And then, like, I was, like, randomly working one of the many jobs I was working in college, and I was ushering the the Lion King at, like, Bartle Hall in Kansas City, and I had to see it 12 times, which I hate. I hate. But the ASM was really hot, and would dance with the hyenas, and so I'd watch him dance with them. Like, what is his job? I could do that. What is an ASM? I could do that. And so I transferred. What is an ASM? Oh, for those of us who do not know. Sorry. Assistant stage manager. Um, Oh, okay. Cool. Yes. I was thinking you were missing the R, and it was, like... Hello, what are you doing today? <laughs> I mean, he probably does that now because, like, <laughs> life takes us places. Um, it sure does. <laughs> but I was like, I could do his job. Um, and so I, I transferred into a theater program and learned how to do his job. Um, but I also could not stop writing. I took a playwriting class, and it was the first time I saw people respond to my work in real time. Hell and yeah. I was like, this is a fun fucking high. And so I started writing more plays. And I was like, what if I went to grad school for playwriting instead of like something safe? Because I was like, stage management will be safe. Um, and I'll write on the side because I was a full baby. You can't, <laughs> you cannot stage manage and write on the side. <laughs> no, I feel like if you're a stage manager, all you do is work at you don't have free time that's not a thing or you have all the free time in the world i feel like it's either two <laughs> no. extremes if you're working you're working um you if have working, time to do that and cry over your dinner as you do that um, <laughs> and, so, and so that's why i did not know that like this is anxiety that i feel sometimes because i was like it's working i'm working um, <laughs> ain't that just the way <laughs> ain't it, ain't it? Ooh. um <laughs> And so I was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pause the stage management, even though I have like my technical theater degree, which has also come in handy a couple times in the before times, because people are like, we want this design, like I can do just enough to get this check and make sure this sounds right. Look, that's all we, that's all any of us want to do. I know just enough to get the check. Right? Like that is all that matters. <laughs> I don't need to be great. I need to be good. <laughs> Um, and I can be good. Um, so yeah, I went to grad school and collected my third degree in imagination, um, which was for playwriting. <laughs> Where did you go to grad school? Oh, Texas Tech. It's awful. Um, okay. I think we've got to go cool. there all the time. But I graduated and I have a degree somewhere. I think my name is spelled right. I. <laughs> it happened. Great. Um, <laughs> you did. You did it. I, I did a thing. Um, <laughs> 
we all make choices when we're young. That that was a choice. Um, yeah, I could have just cut my own hair, <laughs> but no, I, I went to grad school, and I'd be paying that off forever. Um, and <laughs> and right after I left grad school, I I went to Chicago, where I ended up like doing a little bit of um, technical theater stuff for some shady places oh, cool. that kept bouncing checks, as a young theater oh. artist does. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And so I lived in Chicago for a bit, and most of my friends in theater, that was their exact experience in Chicago, where they got fired for really stupid reasons, so they wouldn't have to get, they wouldn't have to pay them. I had a theater shut down on me while I was working a show. They forgot I was in the building that night and wanted to email me first <laughs> to say that this was our last weekend open. And so I was like, uh, pause mic check. <laughs> and i was like what do you mean this is my last shift and we're closed as of monday and i'm invited to the new year's eve party and they were like oh yeah we know you're working tonight and we wanted to tell you first because you're like family and i'm like stop saying that i don't think you know what family means <laughs> i hate that fucking phrase you're like family i don't i don't think that phrase means what you think it, it doesn't means. no First off, all of us have weird baggage with our families, so like, why are we trying to use that one? Like, <laughs> pick a dead. Also, it's a little gaslighty. It's like we really care about you. Yeah, we're letting you go, but we really care. We're like family. <laughs> See you on the way out. Like, right? <laughs> it's like I, I am triggered whenever I'm working for a theater that buys me a meal because I'm just like, oh no, what have oh, you no. done? What? <laughs> <laughs> what have you done? What's, what's the conditioning behind this? <laughs> like, right? This is guilt pizza. Now? Are you not going to pay us? <laughs> Am I checking a bounce? Are you I hope you enjoyed that pizza because that was your paycheck. That right? was your paycheck okay. for a month's worth of work. Listen, we brought you dinner and so we thought that we could just like hold this for a minute. And like, no, I, I still need to pay rent. That's a real thing. It doesn't go away because you brought me a sandwich. But we're um, family. <laughs> right? We're family. Our family will keep you from being homeless. And it's like, no, I'm gonna need, I'm gonna need money. Um, uh, <laughs> I need you to like pay some of these bounce checks because of you. But I, <laughs> while I was there, I started um, freelancing, and I was like covering theater because, like, on the off nights I have off, or I would do some interviews via email. Mm. And I was like, I like this freelance life because I sort of get to do what I do. And, like, I feel like if I can work from home with a glass of wine, I'm a better person. (laughs) I I can agree with that, 100%. Listen. (laughs) I mean, for me, it's scotch, but I'm right there with you. I love a bourbon, too. Um, (laughs) But NPR doesn't do a bourbon box, so I've had to make do. Um, (laughs) But, yeah, no. um, And, like, so to fast forward, um, I liked freelancing, and some years happened in between that and here. And I I started a podcast and I also started writing for myself and putting it on Medium because I had had run-ins with editors writing about TV and I was like, I will never work with this meal again. And also, I'm tired of people like projecting and trying to like, tell me what my experience is in an email when I'm trying to write about grownish. So we're not going to do that no more. <laughs> um, and so... I was like, I'm going to write for Medium. And then, like, I was hanging out on Twitter after some things happened with my podcast earlier this year. And I had Sorry, really... something's in my throat. Oops. Yeah, I don't know what that is. Right? I don't know what I... you could be talking about. No, a thing happened. It's, yeah. Mm. <laughs> this wine is amazing. Um... <laughs> But yeah, um, so a thing happened earlier this year with my podcast, and I had this like really cool influx of friends, and I was like, what do you mean you all are being paid to write about horror? <laughs> this is new. <laughs> People paying me for things in a timely fashion, you say. Um, and so 
I submitted an article, um, and then I got hired because the article went well. Um, and yeah. Hell yeah. And then I bother Mary Beth regularly. <laughs> it's my favorite. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, what, if, but like a lot of stuff, but kind of cool, like theater and play like i don't know playwriting i think is like incredible and i don't i don't understand how you do it and i think that's just amazing like being able to write plays and have them like be produced and people actually performing them like that's got to be so incredibly satisfying to see happen i mean exhausting and horrible but also (laughs) incredible to like see it happen in front of you yeah no i i definitely had a weird little career in playwriting and so like a lot of my stuff ends up like hitting with like the college kids and so they'll be on like new play exchange which is a place you can go to like read all these new plays for like ten dollars a year if you're just like into like random plays highly recommend um <laughs> um but like they're on there because they're in college and they're doing the right things and they're just like i like this weird named girl and i like this play that she wrote can we do that next season and so, like, in the before times, I'd be able to finagle, like, a flight to the school to come see, like, the first production and meet some of the students. Oh, yeah. And because my plays have brown people in them, I usually get to talk to kids who are usually forgotten <laughs> um, or mistreated. Oh, my I God. Just, yeah. Oh, fucking yay. That's amazing. That's so awesome. That was always, like, in, when I was in theater in college, like, well, to white people, and whenever we had parts for people of color, it was always like, oh, what can we do? And I'm like, don't. Yeah cast a white person it was always right. like the dumbest like whatever but yes like yeah. it's incredible that they can actually have parts and it's not just like cool what token character am i going to be cast as in the background Listen, no i i always love when somebody emails me because it's usually because again pwis um it's usually some white person who's like i read your play and the lead is black is it okay if she's not black because i don't know how many black students we have here and i'm like it's been done in podunk towns cross america you can find a black girl good day uh, and then like you meet this beautiful black girl who they have never given a role to and she's like i came here to act three years ago this is the only one i've gotten <laughs> and i'm like why is this story not original thanks academia yeah wow guys white supremacy is lots of forms listen <laughs> and that's why my medium is popular <laughs> <laughs> wow <laughs> Um, on that incredible note, Sheree, <laughs> what movie did you bring with you today? <laughs> I I decided um, to revisit Star of Echoes for this podcast. Hell yeah. So let's, let me just give y'all a brief synopsis of Stir of Echoes before we start chatting about it. Um, so Stir of Echoes, after being hypnotized by his sister-in-law, a man, played by Kevin Bacon, begins mm. seeing haunting visions of a girl's ghost and a mystery begins to unfold around him. Yes. Uh, okay, so I have a lot of thoughts about this movie, but before we get to like talking about it as adults, I want to know your Scarred for Life story. When did you see this? How did you see this? Why is it your choice for today? Give us your horror story. Oh, God, yes. Um, I remember being a kid, and when I would get money, back then we had to do pay-per-view. Um, so I saw Ooh, that this was pay-per-view. <laughs> right? Right? Throw it back. Listen, I turned 25 a couple times. Um, and so I, I gave my mother my $5. I was like, I want this one. And so like I watched it like for 48 hours, because back then you had 
no, it's 24 back then. 48's a new thing that Amazon's given us. Um, kids these days don't even know. Um, back they then, don't. 24 hours of the movie. And you didn't get to control when it started. After you hit play, it would play, and then it would play, and then it would play, and you were there, and you were not there. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. God, I fucking forgot about that. It yeah. would just play on a loop. Oh, yeah. I totally forgot about See, and I never, I, I never had pay-per-view. We never had cable growing up. So, like... When people would talk about pay-per-view, it was like this whole new thing for me as a kid. I was like, what is that? I remember we, seeing two pay-per-view things my entire life. We would sporadically have it, depending on how money was happening um, mm-hmm. in any given month. And I would be like, we have it again? Awesome. Here's $5. I went to Urban <laughs> Legends. Um, and, so, and so I remember reading this and watching it because I had to, because it would go away. And just being terrified the whole time because I saw it just early enough where I was starting to really think about like, what is the afterlife? What are ghosts? And also mm. our house was like spooky as fuck. Like it was our second spooky house. And so I don't know if it's the energy that my mother was bringing with her or we just picked random haunted houses. I don't know. Um, <laughs> Poor Kano's ghosts. It could be both oh, of right? them. Fuck it. It could be both. Um, <laughs> Their vibes fed off of each other. <laughs> they were clashing. <laughs> um, but I was like, I'm seeing lots of shadows. Things are banging. Things are going missing. And um, that's part of we, what we see here but like the ghost has a story in this one that's just unresolved i have um, rich, <laughs> um, in my own life i just grew up and moved away and i let <laughs> them go with god um <laughs> they can deal with it not your problem anyway. i i didn't ask to move there <laughs> so what what about it was was terrifying to you as a kid was the existential like idea of the afterlife was it specific scenes i i think it's the idea of ghosts i think that okay. i i don't think we give ghosts enough credit for being scary because, I mean, like, home invasions, yeah, they're wrong and spooky. Um, demonic possessions, oh, hell yeah, really spooky. But, like, ghosts are just, like, the things that, if they do exist, because we don't know what things are happening and what things are not happening and what for and who not, that's a different energy. Because you could just be minding your own business, turn around and be like, oh, no, there's a ghost there. And what do you do other than give it the apartment? Like, there's no, <laughs> there's no fighting that. There's no, like, calling the priest to exercise me. It's just like, I saw a ghost and I can't go on anymore. I I have stopped everything I was doing as a person. Um, so I, yeah, no, they scare me. You know, okay, so speaking about ghosts, one of the things that always, like, okay, you want to be helped, and yet you pick the worst time to, like, pop in and terrify someone, because I'll tell you the one scene uh, that I remember when I first saw this movie that scared me was when Kevin Bacon sits down on the couch, re- leans to get his remote, and leans back, and boom, there's a girl right there. And I'm like, okay, if you're trying to get some help, why the hell are you, try- are you scaring the shit out of him? I look at ghosts like cats, and that they move in mysterious ways. They <laughs> okay, will appear, and you need to figure it out. <laughs> um, so, yeah. That, I- is, that is fair. <laughs> I've never thought of it that way, and that is, that is actually kind of a perfect example. Like, my niece Louise, she can't speak other than no. So, like, when she wants something, she's just like, I will attack you <laughs> when you're not looking. <laughs> and you will give me a thing. And I'm like, I don't know what that means. That was my eye. Can you can you do something else? Did this uh, have any lingering effects after you saw it? Or was this, like, you just watched it and you're good after that? Because I know you lived uh, in a creepy house, you said. Oh, yes. I lived in a creepy house. And we went to too many funerals as kids. And mm-hmm. so dead people were all ready and no go but like dead people coming back to haunt you i was like oh no hell no this is not casper and so <laughs> and so it definitely stayed with me for like every time i ever thought i was afraid of something i was like what if it's a ghost what if that like feeling saying don't go in there is because there's a ghost in there and my brain knows i'm not ready for that shit and so i'm gonna go the long way around to get my water um <laughs> i i am also still afraid of cemeteries 
Oh, okay. no, I think it's because the little boy was living his best little red redhead life in the cemetery, talking to the dead people. And I was like, oh, oh my God, I love that fucking moment. He's like, this is so fun. And I was like, I love you, kid. Like, you're so creepy. <laughs> no. But wait, so was this like the movie that kind of like really introduced you to the concept of ghosts or like really made you think about the concept of ghosts? It's the first one that really was like, ghosts are not to be fucked with. Because <laughs> before that, you had like okay. fun ghosts who were doing things and not really like, trying to get anything across. They were just like, I'm a ghost in a movie. Ah, the Frighters. Um, but this one was like, Hi. <laughs> Ghosts are mad. You need to listen or they will come back for your ass. And I was like, I don't like this. Can we not do this? Fair. I'm ter- So I was like terrified of ghosts. I'm still pretty scared. Of- like I, I'm pretty scared of ghosts still. Like I have a healthy fear. I don't know if they're real or not, but I'm going to err on the side of caution because like I don't want to find out. But like growing up, the things that always scared me the most were ghost stories. Like poltergeist always scared the shit out of me. Ghost shows. I loved watching them, but like they would always terrify me. So I always had to sleep with the lights on in my house. And like, I swear I saw ghosts and stuff like that. Like not that many, but like I thought I saw some a couple times and I was just like, fuck this. Like, absolutely not. So like I totally get that. Ghosts were like number one spooky ooky. I love monsters, but like ghosts, they could be anywhere, they could be anyone, and you don't really they don't have a physical form. And I think that kind of that 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 like lack of tangibility also freaked me out that they could like disappear and appear. I'm like, well, at least a person like is there in front of you and you can hit it with something, and like a creature you can hit it with something, but with a ghost, like there's nothing you can fucking do. Like you said, like what am I gonna do sage my house like some kind of like white person like (laughs) like like, i ain't gonna do anything like have a priest come and bless my house like we all know that with amityville horror he just got yelled at so just like get out no i love talking about ghosts like so i'm glad you picked this movie because i just like to go off about ghosts but so my my house growing up was built was was brand new like we built this house in this like abandoned lot in our neighborhood and it was the lot where all the kids partied Mm -hmm. Mm-mm. I know, I know. Oh, 100%. <laughs> this is like a nightmare story. This is a nightmare story. Like abandoned lot where all the kids partied. So like we found a lot of like needles in the ground oh, and like beer bottles, but then also found creepy doll heads in the no. dirt and shit like that. <laughs> no, no, no. My parents were always like, well, it's not haunted because like it's a new house. And I'm like, there's, you. did you see the things we found in the dirt in the backyard? Have you not seen Poltergeist? <laughs> listen, listen, listen. <laughs> I know. It was so funny. And so, like, I always got the weirdest vibes in that house. And so did my, some of my friends. And, like, I never saw anything crazy. But, like, one time I heard something whisper in my mm-hmm. name. And that scared the shit out of me forever from that house. So, like, that house was, like, had weird vibes. No. I don't know. No. Anyway, I just love, I love to talk about ghosts. So. I, I love. <laughs> so I just share that before we talk. I love it, too. And I also love that the catalyst for him getting on his creepy kids level is he was hypnotized and his switch was flipped. Because, like, some of us are just sensitive or we just know things. I know as a creepy kid, I would just sometimes know stuff. And I don't want to unpack that. Yeah. I, I like when I don't know things, but I can't <laughs> help it. Because sometimes I'd just sit in a random, like, oh, no, your middle name is this. And it's like, how'd you know that? I'm like, I don't know. I don't want to know. I don't know. It just kind of popped in my head. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, yeah, because, like, you know, like Kevin Bacon's character is, like, this blue-collar guy. And they live in Chicago. And, like, it seems like a pretty blue-collar neighborhood. Like, everyone's kind it's of, a like, decent neighborhood. a good neighborhood. Like, it's a nice, yeah, I was at that house they have. Like, you're trying to tell me blue collar Chicago. Mm-hmm. Like, I lived in Chicago and, like, I was in a shitty mm-hmm. apartment. Not the same thing, but that house, 
costs so much money. Like I can just looking at it in Chicago, there is no way that any of those people could have lived in such beautiful homes. Or maybe not. I don't know. But like it was very unrealistic from what I know about Chicago and pricing in Chicago. Even with inflation, the house that they lived in, they would have had to section it off into like five different apartments and the ghost had to be hiding a specific person. Yes. Because there's no way in fuck you're gonna afford that house. Yes. <laughs> That would be someone's, like, someone would have a basement apartment and have her as, like, their ghostly and they're in the wall. And they would, like, find it, like, at a TikTok or something. They'd find her fucking corpse behind that goddamn wall. Literally, I see it on ghost housing, ghost light, like, ooh, ghost light housing right now. Just, like, a basement apartment. And you come over and they're, like, pulling the rug up in the kitchen and, like, opening the floor. They'd be like, here's your room. You have to share it with two other people. And I'm like, what do you mean? I thought a shared room was an accident. I'm like, no, it's a real shared room. And I'm like, I'm not going to share a room in the basement under your kitchen floor. (laughs) Which, by the way... Ridic- the moment where they're ridiculous. like, I have to go to the basement and they pull up the, the carpet and they're like calling. I'm like, no. oh, hell no. We had one of those. You know when you cover it. <laughs> we had one of those in Alaska. When I lived in Alaska, there was, it wasn't in the kitchen. It was like in the closet, but it was literally like, you pulled it up. I know. You pull it up, you go downstairs into the cellar and I'm like. No. No, it's so what I saw this. It brought that memory back as a kid yeah. of being like terrified of that of that little clot. And I can't imagine it being in the kitchen. I'd be like, I would never want to go in the kitchen. What if you like fell into it? You know? <laughs> no, I don't. that's like in fucking how the new Halloween movie too. Like I just like if you gotta cover the door with their carpet, like then yeah. why they like, don't have it? Because that's like you're trying to hide it from people, mm. and like that is un- I don't know. I don't. Know. I don't do basements. Um, as a kid, whenever we had a basement, it was a creepy, dusty, spider rat filled situation. And you couldn't see past the bare bulbs. And I'm like, what kind of torture dungeons do we have? And why? What the fuck are we doing when I go to sleep? And so I already don't trust basements. And so the fact that we we have to go down into that anxiety-inducing situation to turn the hot water on when it blows mm. out, I would never have hot water. We would be cold showering, nope. bathing forever. I know. I'd be like, I, this is my fate now. I'm right? not going down there because I know the second I go down there, I've watched enough horror movies, I will die. Listen. Something is waiting down there for Listen. me. My my parents live in a uh, an old Victorian home that they uh, have been like you know re-upping and like you know restoring and all that kind of stuff. But it was built I think in the eighteen hundreds maybe, um, mm. and the basement in there is like fucked. There's parts of it that are Terry sent me pictures of it, and I was like, "You are haunted! <laughs> like, get out of there! It's like dirt, dirt floor. floor there is like conj- no. conjuring. There is a part of it that is like dirt floor. Oh. Yeah, seriously, there is no. part of it that is literally dirt, and I'm like, there's bodies in there. I know there is. Samantha is probably 100%. buried down there. Listen, listen, no, like I, because I was, I was born and raised in Missouri. And so there are so many serial killers who would just like put women <laughs> in basements and trash cans, uh. um, which is still a phenomenon today. Mm. Um, and so like, I, I don't fuss with basements, especially old basements. Because, like, it always ends with, he was such a good neighbor. My parents, were the town that they live in, this was something that happened, like, two years ago. Um, Some... What are you about to say? (laughs) (laughs) Some girl ran out of a man's house. He had taken Mm -hmm. her down to to his basement and had doused her in gasoline and was planning to light her on fire. No. No. Right? Yes. Right? I... It... Basements are not good. No. Basements are, it made dating hard because it's just like, oh, yeah, no, I'm in a basement apartment. Like, the fuck you are? Don't lie to me. <laughs> You're like, absolutely. I don't care how finished your basement right? is. Like, that's a nightmare zone. I know what happens in basements. Right? Well, and so it's like, 
you have this like obviously creepy basement in this nice house, but they are blue collar workers. Like he works, I think, electric electrical yeah. stuff, and he's like such a non believer. And then you have the the witch, the witchy sister, yeah. of course, Ileana Douglas. When across, love her as a child. But also, I forgot that this is one of the few movies where they actually let her play a lesbian because they were always coding her because she was a brunette and she was a smart one. Oh, so yeah. it's alluded to. So you're a lesbian. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was always alluded to. But in this one, they were like, oh, no, there's a girl on her couch. But also, it's the 90s. <laughs> and I was like, okay. I know. <laughs> I was like, is she actually gay or are you just having it look like, I don't know who, I don't know who knows in these fucking movies, like what you're trying to do. But I love the hypnosis scene because it's something out of a David Lynch movie. It's so weird. Like it does not match the rest Mm -hmm. of the movie where it's just like a creepy screen and it says, it just like is blurred word at word sleep and he's floating on the chair towards it. (laughs) It's like the weirdest fever dream moment, but I loved it. I was like, this is an incredible way of like showing hypnosis as like a very weird experience. I have never been hypnotized ever. I don't trust again. I don't know if that's true, but I don't want to no. fuck with it. Like, I just cautiously, just cautious about that. But I did love that moment where it's just like, what the fuck is happening? And it feels so out of, it's like such a weird liminal space mm-hmm. in the movie, but I really liked it. Because I have not seen this movie in so long. I remembered nothing about it except for Samantha's character, who's played by an actress in Bones. <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, she's in this movie. But to my mom... This was the scariest movie she'd ever seen. Like, she would not watch this movie. And when I watched it, I was like, it's not that scary. And, like, I saw it when I was, like, in middle school or high school. I was like, oh, if my mom is scared of it, it has to be scary. My mom is not a scary movie person (laughs) at all. And I watched it, and I was like, this was kind of lame. I don't think it's lame now. As an adult, I actually really enjoyed watching it. But when I was a kid, I was like, because my mom had hyped it up as this, like, horrific ghost story. And I was like, this is cheese. No, I... (laughs) As a kid, <laughs> listen, as a kid, I was already a ruiner, so I knew where it was going. Also, that wall looked real fucking fake, but we before we even, like, <laughs> were supposed to notice it. And I was like, mm-mm, she's in that wall. Look behind you, Kevin Bacon, like, loose clues. But, like, <laughs> I... <laughs> no, he's got to dig up the entire backyard first. And shirtless with his weird back tattoo, okay. he has to dig up the entire backyard. It was in his contract I'm so to be shirtless. Thankful. I'm thankful listen. for that moment, though. He was in good shape to be like 41, 42 when that came out. He's um, a right? very hot like, man. I, I have never been like a huge like Kevin Bacon is hot person. Like I res- I can appreciate it. But in this movie, I was like, all right, I get it. It comes and it. But your wife is hotter than oh. you. <laughs> it comes and it goes for me because I'm a child of the 90s. I'm like, oh, yeah, footloose. But then he was like, I'm going to play a bunch of douchebags that are shirtless doing sweaty things for a decade. I'm like, okay. Listen, that is like an aesthetic <laughs> for someone. I'm just going to say, I, you know, and for, for me, I, I've been a fan of him since very, from, since like I, I was a kid. Cause I remember uh, I grew up in the eighties. Like that was when my childhood was in the like eighties, early nineties. And I remember, you know, tremors and being mm. like, whew. I don't know why this man is making me feel certain ways. And then, like, you know, you see him in this movie, and it's like, oh, sledgehammer me, daddy. Like, it's just like, I'm, I, I was thinking recently, as I've been, like, scrolling through TikTok over the last, like, month, and there's this one video that keeps showing up, and people keep reacting to it, of this man who is incredibly buff, and he has, like, the sledgehammer, and he is breaking apart wood, like, 
logs of wood and just like bang and cracking it in half. And I'm just like, ooh, this is making me feel certain ways. And this movie made me feel a certain ways, particularly when it's in the basement using that sledgehammer and just cracking the wall and the floor. And I'm like, okay, listen, I'm here for this. Listen, because like I, there's a lot going on in this movie. And so I love that they took the time to be like, Kevin Bacon can still get it, everybody. Just so you're all aware, this oh. is the campaign. You can still get it. But also, we have a dead girl and a message to give you. And I'm like, thank you. Priorities. <laughs> <laughs> we can we can have it all. We can have it all. It can be a movie about this t- horrifically sad murder of a young girl getting taken advantage of by the neighborhood boys. And a reminder that Kevin Bacon is still But likeable. also, like, just the year before, he was doing wild things. And I saw his penis. Oh, that's oh, that was the year before. Yeah. She's on Netflix. I've never seen her, and she's oh. on my list of to watch oh, immediately. You Girl, you gotta watch. We covered it on our little cuts. It. We've been doing like erotic thrillers in that movie. Listen, it is incredible. You like, don't know it where it's incredible. gonna go. Listen, <laughs> it's so fun. Just like, get like a big glass of wine and just vibe. Like it's exactly that's how you should be watching that movie. I do have most Kevin Bacon movies because, like, again, I love him, but sometimes he says yes to things. He sure does. We don't talk about him enough because Nicolas Cage is out here wilding out. But like, also Kevin Bacon is a little chaotic sometimes. He is. He is a little bit chaotic. He definitely is. He's not as like unhinged, but he definitely is chaotic in the movie choices that he does. Like the movies that he chooses to be in. I look at it as like Nicolas Cage is that faculty member with tenure, and Kevin Bacon is that faculty member that wants tenure. And and so you see it in the Cage moment where he can just act full unhinged. Right? I love it. My God. Just you see, that, that horror movie with Amanda Seyfried was probably, he thought, was his moment, Which, but it was not by the, the way, moment. directed by the same director as this movie. <gasps> no way! Are you serious? I am dead serious. David Coeb directed that one and did this one. It was awful. I watched it a couple months ago, and I remember tweeting or texting a friend and being like, how could the people I love so much hurt me so much? How? <laughs> What did I do? <laughs> and I love the concept, but now, guess not. I saw this movie in the movie theater in 1999, which was, we've oh, wow. said this a million times, but that was a goat year for cinema. Mm-hmm. 1999 was, in my opinion, the best year for cinema that we've ever had, I think. Yeah. But yeah. So we saw this, and this movie had the unfortunate luck of being released one month after The Sixth Sense. Ugh. And so it kind of didn't do as hot as that movie because a it was rated r and b you had just everyone had just seen the sixth sense and let's be honest if people are thinking about ghost stories of the 90s that's going to be the one you're going to remember not a stir of echoes even though i think this is a banger movie you know it just had the unfortunate release schedule but i loved it i saw it in the theater and I absolutely loved it. Everything worked for me, but th- that was back in the time where it's like you have like, you know, a big screen. You don't have any like cell phones or anything to like distract you. So for that whole 90 minutes, I was like enraptured in what was happening. And it, it surprised me in ways that I wasn't expecting. I'm going to say something blasphemous on your podcast. Um, <laughs> I I like this more than The Sixth Sense. Both okay. are predictable as a child. Whoa. But I had fun with this Hot one. Hot take, but I love it. I, so I, I have an M. Night Shyamalan problem. I don't talk about it a lot because, like, I, I know not to say things in public. But I, I always picture these movies, like, in the first five minutes. And so I stopped seeing them. Because I'm just like, why am I giving you money if I know it's going to end? Okay. 
and I don't have a good time because I'm just like, you. this is what it is, isn't it? This is the village, isn't it? And he's like, you don't know. I'm like, I know, it's the village. And then we get there and I'm like, why did we do that? And so I stopped. I, I cut him out of my life. But I, again, both of those movies, Sixth Sense and this one were predictable, but I had more fun, even though I knew where this one was going to go, as opposed to The Sixth Sense. I was like, hey, Mitchell Osmond and Tony Collette are great. But as a child, I, I'm asking for more of my horror movies right now. <laughs> so I just did not. Well, yeah, because this one feels more like a horror mm. movie to me. Like, obviously, Sixth Sense is scary, but like this one felt more like a go, like more of a straight up ghost story. And this, like, Sixth Sense had much more kind of emotional weight behind it, and was like playing more with the like with grief and that kind of stuff. Where this one was a lot more straightforward. It wasn't really like there. Obviously, is kind of a twist, but it wasn't leading up to like a huge mm-hmm. twist to me, at least. Like it was. <laughs> relatively you could see where it was going but you still loved the journey getting there because it was like kind of i don't can't be the right word but like over the top and fun so it was a little bit more like well i'm enjoying the ride to get here so why the fuck not and i think that's part of my Shyamalan problem is that like he hinges so much on the big twist but the big twist is always something that's really easy to identify and it's usually given out in the first five minutes if not the trailer He's another reason I don't do trailers anymore. Well, I think that's what's so sad about his stuff now, too, is, like, everyone knows he's the twist guy. So it's like, well, you have to, like, foreshadow the big twist in the trailer. And I think I like Sha- – like, I do like Shyamalan, like, his his older stuff. But I feel I feel bad for him, in a, like, that he has become that guy because I feel like there's so much pressure put on him and, like, everyone's trying to predict the twist so quickly. And I'm just like, ooh, you kind of painted yourself into a corner, dude. And I'm sorry. Like, you're not a bad filmmaker, but I think he's kind of got this reputation and maybe you can't really, like – get out of it because i feel like everyone kind of expects that from him at this point like the big twist but the sixth sense was his first one that had any of that so i guess that kind of like set the precedent yeah no because i remember i remember going back for the village which i predicted again i went back for signs which i don't think anybody still knows what it's about um i think as a collective we've given up trying to figure that one out and i was like okay so he could surprise me still scare the shit out of me i don't even care i, I was anywhere for mr phoenix at that age and era i can't go back because Mel gibson is there and i feel mm-hmm. like i'm just tired of looking at him and hearing him but like <laughs> i i was very much about mr phoenix i was like i don't know what's happening with the water and the aliens but i i, I like looking at him so I'm, I'm gonna stick it out i don't know what the movie was about <laughs> when the alien walks across it should not be scary but i jumped because, like, it's not even a good jump scare. I was like, oh, fuck. And I was like, it was there the whole time, though. Why am I, why am I afraid? So the the one lasting thing that I will say about uh, The Stir of Echoes that my first watch that really pulled me in was that I think this was the movie that sent me down to Richard Matheson rabbit hole, who is uh, the, the oh. author that this book is, or this movie is based on. And I gobbled up all of his books that I could find. And I started watching movies based on his books. And the man is like a huge inspiration for writers. I mean, you have people like Stephen King crediting him and actually dedicating some of his novels to him. George Romero acknowledged that Matheson was the, was an inspiration and that the creatures in the, the, in the last man on earth, which was an adaptation of, uh, I am legend was the inspiration for his night of the living dead. Yeah. Ghouls. And also, Anne Rice said that that the short story, A Dress of White Silk, by him, was an early influence on her interest in vampires and fantasy fiction. Upon his death in 2013, you had a bunch of, like, movie uh, directors. Steven Spielberg, who directed The Duel, that was written by Richard Matheson. That was his first movie. 
written mm. by Richard Matheson. He, uh, you know, came out with some really nice things to say. Edgar Wright, Roger Corman. Like, he's an unsung horror fiction author that I think is, like, one of those people that people that write or that make horror movies know more about than the general populace. Even though, chances are, you have seen something that he has either, A, written or that has been written based on his stuff. Like, Duel, Steven Spielberg's first movie. The Last Man, The Omega Man, I Am Legend. All of those based on I Am Legend. The Legend of Hell House. What Dreams May Come. That Richard Kelly movie, The Box. um, Real Steel. That movie about the giant the boxing robots, like all of these movies. <laughs> Wait, that's by Richard Matheson. It's based on a story the Hugh by Hugh Jackman movie with a box. Yeah, it's based on a short story by Richard Matheson. I'm in love. I have not read a lot of his stuff. Yeah. like I have not read a lot of his stuff, and like I know about him, but I've never really read a lot of his stuff. But okay, I also know there's screenplays. Yeah, so he also, too, right? I mean, we talked we talked about this next movie, Mary Beth on Little Cuts, uh, Die Die My Darling, written by him, The Incredible Shrinking Man, written by him, The Pit and the Pendulum, House of Usher. Jaws 3D. They can't all be great. I'm sorry, Richard Matheson wrote Jaws 3D. He did with someone else. It was him and another writer. Sometimes Rit happens. What? I'm not going to judge him. (laughs) No, that's fair. But it's just just funny that he wrote all that stuff and then wrote Uh that. That always happens. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, banger, 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 this Lifetime Hallmark movie. I'm like, what? They do collaborations? Yeah, and KFC. I'm like, what? (laughs) <laughs> and then another banger. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay. Sometimes you gotta pay. Like you said, you gotta yeah, pay. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and this is a guy that that has like influenced horror writers, horror filmmakers, and, and chances are, our listeners have seen at least one movie that he's either written or is based on his books. And I think that's that's kind of sad because I, I don't think he got the the mainstream recognition that other horror authors do. But like, this is a man that was mm-hmm. killing it from like I think in the 50s up until when he died in 2013. Yeah, no, I wow. I gotta read some more of his stuff because that's a lot of things I like and love. Legend of Hell House, I recommend. Really good book. I haven't read it in probably twenty five years, but like, oh, I've I've read that one. It's really mm-hmm. good. Yeah, that one I, I've read of his, and I did enjoy that quite a bit. So okay, so was the did he was Stir of Echoes the name of the story he wrote yes. or the book? Yes, it was. Okay. Is it a full book? I believe so. I believe it was, yeah. Okay. It was written um it was written in nineteen fifty eight. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Are you serious? Well uh-huh. that's wild. But like kudos to him for writing one of the creepiest kids ever. Like I thought I had seen all kinds of creepy motherfucking kids on screen. This I had forgot like this came back to me when I was watching it. Like this kid is incredible. He is so creepy. He really is. Like he's got the most like cherubic little fi- it's like Haley Joel Osment I was like comparing the two just thinking about it because obviously they came out so like Haley Joel Osment is just a little grown up like he is like sad like he's very sad and he's like very kind of like you know wise for his age all that like shit that people say about kids who've gone through trauma who like don't know how like have to grow up really quickly meanwhile this little boy is still a little kid like he is very much a little kid like he seems like he's got like a little bit of that wise beyond his years thing but he still acts like a kid and he's got the little cherubic face so he looks like a baby still and then he starts giggling Mm. and like talking to things and like when his dad, when he tells his dad to get him his bug pajamas so he can talk to the ghost some more out of his bath, I was like, I can't do this. Like he is <laughs> such a good, creepy little kid. And the fact there's a line where Maggie, the wife, says, 
the two of them sit together mm. and whisper and I walk into the room and they stop talking. Like that is the creepiest shit to me that like she's an becomes an outsider in her own home because she can't see the ghosts. And they're like the two like the, the dad and the kid are like having their own little secret meetings and she walks in and she's completely isolated out of it. Like that was I didn't never caught how creepy that was when I first watched it. I, this watch I noticed that I got really annoyed with her because her son and her husband are talking to dead people and looking for a dead body in the house and she's just like like, we talk about our marriage. And I'm like, your marriage needs to fucking wait. There's a dead girl in your house. Priorities, Maggie. Um, <laughs> and I, Meanwhile, Maggie's like, can you please go to work? Yeah. Like, I, what the fuck? Please, we need you to go to work. I'm pregnant again. And he's like, I can't. I'm busy. And she's like, dude. <laughs> okay. But his, his busy... <laughs> But his busy is it was a it was a hilarious scene rewatching it this time where he's trying to recreate the events of like grabbing his remote and sitting back on the couch and looking to his left to see if she's there. That is his time spent at home is like this constant like, are you there? Yep. Are you there? <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, bills are valid, and I'm here for that part of the argument. But like when they're fighting, Appy's, she pulls him out of digging the holes, looking for this dead girl, <laughs> and is like, um, <laughs> "What are we doing?" And I was like, "Now's not for feelings. Grab a shovel, find this dead girl, wrap this up. You have other things to be worried about right but- now." <laughs> Even when she's like, "My grandma died," and he's like, "I can't. I have plans." And she's like, "Are you fucking kidding?" Me? <laughs> no, I. I too, I too would have been like dead girl or your dead grandma. I'm sorry, but this is this is a priority. I can't sleep. We are being haunted. This child is talking to dead girls and being kidnapped by babysitters who are going to do Gilmore Girls. And you want to talk about your grandmother right now? And we got to prioritize Maggie. And she's like, I just, <laughs> I just gotta say, when she walks out and they're all digging in the holes, and his thing is like, well, don't worry, the body is not over there. I'm, I'm pretty sure because like she's like, you're involving my kid, and my kid is gonna like possibly dig this body up, and he's like, oh, don't worry, I'm sending him over there. But it's just like this, <laughs> and he's putting it in his little truck, he's putting the dirt in his little truck, and he's like driving it around. It's so funny, but it's also kind of disturbing. Can you imagine? I mean, just like divorcing oh. this from like the rest of what is going on. Can you imagine yeah. if you were the the woman in this situation and your son and your and your husband? are like whispering in rooms and like the kid says I don't want to talk about this because it scares mommy and so then they go do all this hush stuff and you walk out and your yard is destroyed because your husband is digging holes and your poor kid is off in the corner digging holes can you imagine how like upsetting that would be though my my moment would be to either leave both of their haunted asses because again <laughs> I should not be a mother um, or like to help them dig because if I'm going to stick it out with this family unit we should figure out the dead girl situation <laughs> I can't focus on other things I can't make the cereal in the morning and take him to daycare because there is a dead girl in my house <laughs> I can't sleep here when she's here look if two out of the three in the household are saying there's a dead girl in the house I would probably be like alright yeah. probably one out of three mm, two out of three mm-hmm. But one out of three but is I the kid. Love... Let's be honest. Who has been, who That's was introduced, true. introduced talking to the camera and it's revealed that he's talking to the corner of the room. I mean, this kid is creepy. Listen. He's so creepy. She, she also believes it enough to go visit the cop that they meet in the cemetery. To be like, tell me what's going on with my husband. <laughs> and I'm like, true. if you can believe him in this moment, why do we start true. over every day? Why the 51st dates with you, Maggie? What do you forget <laughs> at night? But then I feel so bad because, like, then it's like her sister goes, like, something along the lines of, like, it's always the woman who has to help the guy, like, in these situations. But I kind of love that moment of, like, it's always the, like, the wife's Mm -hmm. duty to, like, save him from these scenarios. And I was like, okay, look at you, like, kind of 
like like self-aware of like this kind of narrative of the woman like having to kind of pull the husband back to earth and like sure he's right but he still gets himself into the shit at the Mm -hmm. end like i found the body but i'm still fucked because everyone else is like coming down on him and she appears and it's like oh let me help him i i love that and i i feel like a lot of the conversations you want to have with him should have been had at the top half of the movie before shit got flipped because he was not a great husband-father mm. situation. And Mm-mm. if she wanted to yell at him before he started seeing dead people, I'd have been like, get it, girl. But she was like, now that you see dead people, I also want to talk to you about the trash. You don't take it out often enough. And I was like, girl, what? <laughs> I need you. <laughs> the dead girl was the straw that broke the camel's Right? <laughs> right? She's like, now that we have a real problem, let's talk about the problems we should have been talking about. And I'm like, get you some couples therapy after you find this dead girl. Because again, she is in your home. <laughs> Nothing like a haunting to really test your relationship and either bring you together or push you Listen, apart. And, and after they survive, barely, it's like, okay, our marriage is strong now. And I'm like, no, it shouldn't take a dead girl to bring you together. You need to work on communication before the next dead girl. Can you do that? And they're like, we held hands in front of the U-Haul, so it's going to be good. Oh, my God, that scene where they're, like, walking and then it's like the camera is focusing on moving. I'm like, okay. David Coep, we get it. They're moving away. And the hands are like holding each other. I would have loved like... it better if they stayed there. Honestly, if they had stayed in that house, it would have been incredible. Oh my god. That would have been so funny. <laughs> like they're like, no, we're reclaiming this shit. Or dumb. That's more like dumb, but I think it'd be so funny destroyed. if they stayed. Like, I would... <laughs> Too many dead people in that house. You can fix it. <laughs> Too many dead people. Yeah, that's true. That's true. A couple more dead people. Yeah. Like, but... Well, okay. So like let's talk about Samantha the woman who was killed and then like what happened to her because I was so angry Mm -hmm. because we (sighs) so Samantha is the dead girl the always the Mm -hmm. dead girl always a girl Mm -hmm. and she was they said some pretty shitty stuff about her before you know her story is told about her being like slow oh my god the r word comes out if i took a drink every time the r word was said in this good neighborhood with good people decent neighborhood decent neighborhood right I'm like, for Boston, maybe. Not for Chicago. The fuck are you doing, Kevin Bacon? Yeah, I know. Seriously. I was like, I'm sorry. Where are we? Like, are we in a like a, an Irish Philly right? neighborhood right now? Like, what are I we doing? I took a Netflix. Not I know. for you. Like, I was just... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, exactly. I was like, we're really having a good time saying the R slur about a lot of shit over here, huh? And like, to her... And about her, when I when what it seems like is that she was just kind of like the weird girl at mm-hmm. school, which means she had like little glasses and mousy mm-hmm. brown yeah. hair. Like that was like what she no. <laughs> and like a little bit awkward because everyone bullied her. And then these two boys, uh, the sons of like the neighbors, I think it's the son son of two of Kevin Bacon's mm-hmm. friends. Yeah. One of which owns the house that he's living in. Yeah. And so the house is being renovated and they invite her into the house and he's like basically wants to rape mm-hmm. her. And like or like he wants to like coerce her into having sex with him and she's like no and then he pushes her down and kills and like knocks her head out her tooth falls out and then he ends up like breaks her nail and then smothers her with plastic and they're like oh shit she's dead and the reason she's dead is because these two boys were drinking and wanted to take advantage of the weird girl and be disgusting Mm -hmm. rapists as teenage boys and their fathers cover up the shit and they put that girl in the wall and they're it's like not just these boys, it is their fathers who help them cover up the crime. 
as like a boys will be boys like they can't go to prison well that's the thing that that looked out to me on this rewatch is the way that that frank is trying to like rationalize what they did to tom Mm -hmm. and i wrote this whole thing down where he says what were we supposed to do it was an accident the damage is done there's nothing anybody can do to bring her back and then and i like in my notes bolded underline all this shit because these kids got everything ahead of them so what were we supposed to do tom send these kids to jail for the rest of their lives because of her and I'm like, excuse me, 16 years later, we have Brock Turner's father going on to saying basically the same thing of like yep. asking for lenience because it's a steep price to pay for 20 minutes of action out of his 20 plus years of life. I'm like, this is the same thing that was being said 15 years, 16 years after this movie. And it's something that is still being a conversation point today is like, I was thinking about in particular, uh, pretty young, promising young woman, promising yeah. young woman. It's, yeah. Promising young woman. I'm like, wait, that's not, that's not right. <laughs> <laughs> promising young woman. I was thinking about that and that whole dialogue and what that movie was kind of haphazardly kind of talk about, but like, it's still pertinent when this movie was made. And it's almost like that line, it feels like it should have been made after the Brock Turner situation. Cause it's like almost literally word for word, what the father of Brock Turner used to defend him. While we're talking about that particular douchebag dad, um, when he comes up to save them and shoots the other son and other father, and he's like, why well, couldn't let cold-blooded murder happen in this house? This is a decent neighborhood. This is a decent neighborhood. I'm Take like, a your drink. your son just murdered a bitch. So, like, <laughs> how, where's your line? Where's your line, Frank? Because, um, <laughs> again, she's just a girl. It doesn't matter. She's dead. But, like, you're going to kill other like, people. I just can't. I just. People just don't get it. I don't know how to put like the exhaustion of being a woman, the danger that women are under all the time. And like, I'm saying this is a a privileged white lady and like, you know, the dangers that we face all the time and just like the attitudes that men have of like, oh, well, it's just a girl. We have our whole life ahead of us. It's like, what? So her life, what do do you mean that she doesn't have a life? Like, is she not a person? Is she not? And a human who would have had a whole life in front of her and she was murdered because your son wanted to fuck her out of like some sick mm-hmm. game. It's and it's so sad that this is still a thing that just like Jesus Christ me Sue. <laughs> oh, sorry. But like it's just so fucked up and fucking ridiculous that this is still a thing. And like nineteen ninety nine this is happening and now it's it's just like It's like the same dialogue, why? but nothing's changed. The actors are different, but it's the same right? thing. Because America don't fix her problems. No. America will never fix her problems. No. She'll put on a new wig and tell you it's a new day and go about her business. Meanwhile, we still have yep. the same conversation happening. We are still having people who are afraid to go outside because of gun violence. And we won't talk about that. Because why would we fix that problem? Um, <laughs> um, we don't have health care. Uh, we still have student loans. And you have the older generations, for the most part, just sort of being like, that's the way it was when I was your age. So sorry about it. And I'm like, what if we change it? If it is it, broke, Phil? don't fix it. Listen. And they're like, I turned out fine. Like, clearly you didn't because you have no heart. Did, did you? <laughs> so maybe <laughs> we should change it. A thing I noticed yeah. this watch, which I don't think I noticed as a child, is um, Kevin Bacon when he's like, "How do I defend myself?" He picks up the keys and he threads them through his knuckles. Oh, like women yeah. are taught to do because instead of fixing rape culture, yes! we're giving keys. Whoa. And I'm like, "Good luck." <laughs> I thought that was I thought that was an interesting detail after he realizes what happened to this girl. Right. Oh, I totally didn't clock that. Oh, yeah. And then of course his wife comes Fuck. in with a knife and they like almost get murdered <laughs> but i was like <laughs> but so the other thing though is like they i i wish they did a little bit more with like her sister who was the babysitter who like takes the kid and is like 
that kind of shows you like there's like a glimpse of the whole like oh this is like the effect of the violence it's not like just on the boys but on the family mm-hmm. but they didn't do a lot with that and like i know it's like it you know i movies and stuff but it just was like I still kind of liked they tried to kind of hint at like there's a whole family who is still looking for her and is like mourning her death. And it's not just she's not just some girl. She is someone's Mm -hmm. sister, someone's daughter. And you shouldn't even have to like, you know, like I have daughter, you know, the whole dialogue. I have daughters now. So I (sighs) know what it's like. Right. (laughs) But like there are people who cared about her and like she was discarded like trash by these people. And that's just like it's just Jesus fucking Christ. It's just so fucking heartbreaking. And the only way that she can get help is from these random family that moves in. And like, thank God they eventually listen. But like, that's just like so heartbreaking that the only way that she can get justice is like reaching out to these people. And just by some coincidence with hypnosis, does the dad <sighs> open up? And it's just like, think about that. Like, I guess that's a tragedy with ghosts in general. You know what I mean? Like, not all the time are they, like, hidden in walls and shit if they're real. Doesn't that, like, suck to think of? There's, like, things going around, like, want you to listen to them and you can't hear them or listen to them. Like, that's so tragic. I'm getting in my feelings about ghosts right now. (laughs) One of the things I've realized um, just since we've started doing ghosts on our own podcast um, is that usually in America, and this is a rare exception, but usually in America, the ghost is the problem and the people are trying to fix the ghost. Whereas when you, like, go to, like, Spain and other countries, it's like, no, the ghost is a victim. Remember, somebody killed the ghost. It's not how it's haunting you. It's about who did the thing to the ghost. Let's focus on that. And yeah. I, I like that narrative more because I think that it makes the idea of ghosts being a possibility less scary. Because it's just like, I, too, have some enemies. <laughs> I respect this. Um, as opposed to, oh, no, this thing is haunting me. Burn it. Go burn the bones like it's supernatural. It's like, but what does it want? Yeah. Who wronged it? Who put it here? Why is it, they, Why are they dead? Well, and that's why I love the Fear Street trilogy that kind of tried to invert that just briefly. Like, where she's like, oh, Sarah Fear's bad, scary. And then they find out, oh, actually, like, she was fucked over by a man. I mean, I'll have to talk about Fear Street because I know there's a lot of stuff with that. But it was kind of nice that it, it like flipped that script a little bit on the haunting ghost curse shit. Yeah. Well, it's also interesting that uh, that this movie and Sixth Sense came out in the same year, and they're both about kind of understanding the ghost as being a victim because that was part of like yeah uh, Haley Joe Osment's character in the Sixth Sense going through and figuring out what what was it that needs to bring the ghost to peace particularly with that young girl that was poisoned by her yeah. mom and here we have like this ghost being a victim and. It's like the kid and and this man. It's it's kind of weird that we have like men speaking for the women at this point. But like you know that's that's what the story is, is happening here, where it's like where they're they're having to figure out why that person is still there and why they can't go on. And so it's interesting that these both came out within a month of each other, and they're kind of about similar things. This was that era though, because if I'm not mistaken, Alice Sebold's The Lovely Bones, the book came out around then. Oh. And was made into a movie, but with Mark Wahlberg and things happen. And I know that she's also um, a little bit of a suspect character as a person now because things have... Oh, as of like a couple weeks ago. (laughs) Yeah, which is sad because I was rooting for her. And you can't root for people in this new world um, (laughs) is what I'm finding out. So like I... But it it was definitely that era of what if ghosts were just trying to talk to us and like finish some unfinished business and then it quickly went away and they were like, no, back to burn these bones. And I was like, I it was more interesting when we gave the ghost layers, I feel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And just to touch on something from the very end of the movie with the ghosts, and Terry mentioned this in our notes about how at the end, the little boy, Jake, yeah. the little boy, yeah. 
like where you just the it does not end like yeah we see like them holding hands in front of the yula but the boy is holding his ears because all he can hear are the ghosts so, like yeah his dad turned it off maybe but this little boy kind of is like kind of like Haley Jalalzman's character a little cursed yeah. here and like there's no resolution he just like is driving away and being like cool all I hear are fucked up ghosts and I don't know what to do about it. In my it. mind, actually, I think that like in some ways you could almost take this movie. I, it's not, obviously, but you could kind of take that character as being the man that kind of grows up to being the guy that kills Bruce Willis at the beginning of Sixth Sense. Oh, Where it's okay. like this kid is like unable to deal with the fact that he keeps hearing ghosts. And so what, what does he do? He goes to see Bruce Willis and ends up killing him years later because he didn't fix him. Like, that's like how I was watching this now as an adult being like, ooh, there's like connections here, even though completely unintentional, you know, but like. I but like still, it. I love that, though. Let's make it canon. Let's just make it canon. I think we should. Because his life is, is, is worse. His life does not end up better. That scene is actually quite heartbreaking where he's in the car. Parents are like, oh, yeah, we've renewed our, you know. <laughs> Hi, Misu. We've renewed our <laughs> like our love. Everything's fine. We're moving on. We're getting a new place. And they're talking, and he is in the back seat covering his ears because it's not over for him, and yeah. it's only going to get worse. Yeah, no, that was that was another thing that sat with me as a kid because I'm just like, what if I do happen to like be seeing shit that's not there but is there? I don't want to see it forever. Yeah, I, I want to. I don't. I want office hours. I don't want to be like <laughs> trying to go to the bathroom and be like, oh no, Mister Ghost, can I have a moment? And can you so- imagine how exhausting that would be? Like. Okay, let me bring out my therapy book. What what problems are we dealing with today? I'm on the shitter ghost. Right? Also... Like, leave me alone. It's like, you don't get a moment alone. Because, like, him and his wife are trying to have sex after Switches first flipped. And, like, he's getting visions. And he's like, oh, no, it was awful. I was being attached. She's like, well, thanks for that. And I was like... Maggie, you are already you are already not reading the room here. Uh, not everything is about your marriage. It should have been in those first five minutes, but you let it go, and here we are. Here we are. <laughs> now you're you have in to wait now, your turn. Girl. <laughs> you have to wait your turn now, Maggie, because now there's a dead girl. Have you said something before? <laughs> we wouldn't be here, but you want to walk around living your best Lisa Loeb life and letting it go. Oh and my now God. here we are, Lisa Loeb life. Yes, right. No. <laughs> Oh it, my it was God. very much a Lisa Loeb vibe in the oh, wardrobe so, department so for much. her and her sister. I miss you. I loved it. Oh, I miss you. Stay. <laughs> I only hear what I want to. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I mean, that, that does sound like it's written about Maggie. <laughs> <laughs> That's another thing. The soundtrack had like Poe over the credits. Oh, yeah, it did. Song. I think I wrote the song down. Mm-hmm. Hello, which I thought was cute. But also, Beth Orton was here. And I was like, well, how do you tell us you went to Lilith Fair in the 90s without telling us you went to Lilith Fair in the 90s? <laughs> Incredible. I do have one final, like, little question. Because this is something that, like, I see in movies a whole lot. And I'm just curious... Did any of you ever grow up with light boxes that swirl images around the room? Or is that only a cinema thing? I didn't have one, but I babysat kids who did. Because I always saw them in movies. And I hated them because I saw them in Mm -hmm. movies and horror movies. And I was like, there was one little, there was two instances. There was one little girl I babysat in a house that creeped me the fuck out that had one. Nothing happened, but it just kind of weirded me out, just like the vibes. And then... Another, it wasn't a box, but it was a turtle, and it would project stars out of its back. Oh. And 
that always, again, weirded me out. I'm like, I just feel like that is ripe for some weird figure to like go across the little lights and do weird shit. So yeah, I've seen them and they go like in real life in places. I've just never They come across as like a trope in ghost movies in particular. Like there's always like, if there's movies about a kid, chances are the kid's going to have that light box and it's going to be creepy. And I'm like, I never had those. And I've never, I don't think I've actually ever seen one in life. I will say that the kids in horror movies have the best toys and things. Oh. And as a child, I was led to believe that we were just like these poor people who don't have anything. But in fact, most of my friends didn't have most of these cool toys and computers and shit. They were not in here with their light boxes. <laughs> <laughs> no. No. But they were, because the one that this little girl had, it made it made noises. It was like a sit and it like had the sound. And I was just like, that's not, that's too much for right. me. I don't like that shit at all. Like, yeah, you need a nightlight, but why don't you just be at the rest of us and get one that plugs into the wall and it's kind of orange. Like, you don't need a whole ass box that moves horses around the room. Right? Fucking psychos. Little privileged bastard. <laughs> why I'm not a parent. Reason 100,000 why I'm not a parent. I think, <laughs> Fuck your light, nightlight. I don't want to see right. ghosts. No, I think horror movies are definitely part of the reason I also don't do kids, though. I... They're never right in the horror movies. It's always creepy little bastards talking to ghosts or like running out of the corn. And I just, I don't have time for it. I don't want that energy. And so. <laughs> I just don't want that life. I've read, too, I've read too many creepy Reddit threads too at people's kids seeing like, oh, that's the headless guy in the <laughs> corner. I'm like, look, I don't even care if they, what the kid is seeing. I I would know. I would leave. I would just be like, no more. We're tapping moving. out of that. Bye. Listen. Like tapping out of that. Listen. Again, had I been Maggie and two of the three of us were seeing dead people, I would have to have that moment of either the two of you need this house by yourselves or <laughs> we're all leaving. I gotta, I gotta jump it all in on this, this shit, or we have right? to move immediately. Yeah, pick up a shovel or leave. Those are the options. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, do we want to wrap this up and give Stir of Echoes a rating out of five? Sounds good to me. All right, Terry, how many fake walls out of five do you give <laughs> Stir of Echoes? Oh boy. Uh, okay, I think this movie has held up really well. Uh, I remember when I when I first saw it, I was really pulled in by the kind of ghost aspect of it and the the, the spookiness. Like I think some of the jump scares still kind of work. Watching this was kind of weird though because I felt deja vu. Whereas like I was watching this and I I when I went in, I had like you, Mary Beth, no recollection of what this movie is about. Other than then it had Kevin Bacon and there was ghosts. And as I was watching it, like two or three scenes before something happened, be like, oh, I think this is gonna happen. Or I think this is going to happen. And then it did. And it was a very weird experience. Like the matrix was glitching around me or something, but um, I think it's held up really well. I think that the things that it is discussing are very interesting and very unfortunately still pertinent to today. Uh, I think it's well directed. I think it's probably one of David Coep's better films uh, as a director. Um, mm. I think for me, this is probably I'm knocking half of those walls down and I'm giving it three and a half. Uh, cool. basement broken hidden fake basement walls <laughs> out of five for me personally what about you mary beth pretty much the same three and a half hidden walls i think this was way better than i remember it being and i can kind of now better understand why it scared my mom i still don't think it's that scary but i think because she didn't watch a lot of horror movies and she had kids i think i kind of i got i understood more of why it freaked her out so much and i think i appreciated just like Despite it being a little predictable, it was still entertaining and had some genuinely creepy moments. And I think it was trying to say something interesting about like the treatment of women 
in horror, like in life and in horror movies, I don't think it was totally successful, but I did appreciate trying to like contribute a little bit to that dialogue. So three and a half for me. Um, Sheree, you have the final word. How many fake fake walls? I was dancing between three and a half and four fake walls. Um, I think it's definitely 3.75. I I think it's definitely getting that like bump just because of like my own baggage and the fact that it made me sit around going, what if ghosts are real? What if they're talking to me right now? (laughs) Um, And not so much for like what is on the screen. Yeah. And you know, honestly, like for me, kind of going along the same thing, I probably could bump it up a half a star just because of it introducing me to Richard Matheson and like discovering a wealth of of books from him. So maybe mm. maybe I'll bump my And up shirtless Kevin Bacon. I mean And Eliana Douglas being even slightly more queer coded than she has been her entire uh, career to this point. Because we've actually put a woman on the couch. So I'm like <laughs> I know. I you know, I loved her in To Die For. And she felt like she was playing a similar character in this movie where like her lines, her, she had some fantastic lines. Uh, the, the more she's like, well, your beer addled sperm still works. <laughs> and then her comment that she's like, I'm not shocked. There's another woman. Of course, the fact she's dead gives one pause. I was like, when she tries, you are a queer icon. <laughs> when she tries to hypnotize him while she's fucked up. I did not understand that mm. mode as a kid. I'm like, why would you do that? Why would you do that as a kid? As an adult, I'm like, sometimes you're fucked up or things are happening and you have to just go with it. And I respect this and I love this scene more as an adult. <laughs> but you're like, yep, yep, uh-huh, I get it. Now I get why you're you're absolutely like blaze out of your mind. You're like, all right, let's just go. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> I've been there before. Listen. <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Shrey, for joining us to talk about Stir of Echoes. Where can our listeners find you, and what do you have coming up that you would like to share? Um, you can find my personal shenanigans on Twitter at M-I-S-S-S-H-A-R-A. That's Miss Sheree. My name is weird, so you'll want to read that and not try and listen to that. Um, but you can find me there <laughs> on Instagram and Twitter with that handle. And for my podcast, where I do this with more beverages usually, um, that's a nightmare fierce on Twitter and a nightmare on Fierce Street on everything else. And check our show notes, everybody. We'll have all of those links in there. And so, listeners, you've heard from us, but we want to hear from you. What was your experience with Stir of Echoes? Send us an email at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail.com, or you can reach out to us directly on Twitter. I am at MB McAndrews. And I'm at Gailey Dreadful. And of course, don't forget to follow the podcast on Twitter at Scarred Podcast. And please give us a rating and a review if you are on iTunes and make sure you are subscribed. Please. It helps. Thank you to Eric Power for our artwork. Thank you to Sean Keller for our music. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Please stay safe out there. But most importantly, stay creepy. And until next time. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. 
If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.